Hi, I'm Deepak Madnani, entrepreneur, problem solver, and amateur barista. I am on a mission to help forward-thinking entrepreneurs succeed and grow by understanding two simple rules. Crisis is a clarity opportunity, and the question is never really the question. Today, I am putting my barista skills to the test and sharing a cup of coffee with resilient problem solvers from all over the world. Let's get started. We'll kick off. I've got Lily La Pena here in California. So she's kindly having an espresso with me. It's morning my time. Lily, what are you drinking? I'm drinking an Italian espresso. Actually, the coffee is a Puerto Rican coffee. Puerto Rican coffee, nice. One of my favorites. And then I used the, the Italian mocha, which is kind of my staple. And it's a little espresso. It's very small, but it's going to give me a real kick. And in fact, because it is 6 p.m., I'm probably just going to have a little bit of it. All right. As I was sharing the photos, grinding the beans again, I've got my Americano, my amateur barista mode going on, full mode for me, it's morning. So Lily, I'm going to do a bit of an intro now. You're the founder and chair of my bank, which from 2007 to 2016, you were CEO and it became the leading financial education provider in the UK. So this wasn't just a small venture, but this was a country-wide venture. And my bank's about creating high-impact financial education programs that reached over 200,000 young people in schools, prisons, youth groups, homeless communities, and supported housing environments. You also successfully lobbied the government to bring financial education into the school curriculum, which now allows 6 million young people to learn about money every year. And then you, this is Lily, typical Lily, continues to progress, continues to amplify that impact. Then you advise the U.S. government on a 10-year financial inclusion strategy for the nation, covering all age groups. So the Maya Bank program further then went on to be replicated in countries across the world, Italy to Turkey. You're working now to bring this into the U.S. You've been honored by Queen Elizabeth II with an MBE for your work in financial services and entrepreneurship. You're also a young global leader with the World Economic Forum and Ashoka and Aspen Fellow for your global social impact. And you currently work as an advisor and coach for governments and multinationals and startups. You teach business and social impact at Occidental University in LA, an industry advisor at the Side Business School and University of Oxford, UK. So, wow, Lily, I haven't read that in a while. And again, it's always impressive. <laughs> so glad to have you today. I'm glad we could make this happen. That's the background, but tell us a bit about yourself. So I'm starting the interview a little different with you. So tell us a bit about yourself, Lily. What drives you, Lily? It depends on the day, but a lot of what drives me is based on actually, <laughs> I, was trying to, I was trying to think about this. I think kindness came to me as I was kind of signing up to this podcast with you. And I remembered a Roald Dahl quote where he says, kindness is the number one attribute of a human being. And I will put it before anything like courage or bravery. Kindness, that simple word, that word to be kind, it covers everything in my mind. And Roald Dahl is what I grew up reading. And Roald Dahl is who I read to my children. And kindness is at the heart of what gets me out of bed. And my mother always used to say this to me, you know, Lily will not get out of bed for many things, but she will get out of bed to go out there and do kind work. She calls it kind work, but essentially it's social impact work. It's kind of purpose-driven work. And 
that really does motivate me. That really speaks to me. Still today, after having done it for a good many years, it's sort of the thing that gets me out of bed. Okay. And as we all know, we'll get into this. None of this is easy, of course. So what was the genesis behind my bank? The idea was that my father was a banker. He is a ba- I mean, you know, he's now retired. And I came from this family of great philanthropists. And my big idol growing up was my grandfather, who was this lawyer, but he worked pro bono his whole life and kind of sold everything he had so that he could represent people in the community and be of service to those who can afford legal support. And for me, he was my hero. Like I would literally walk down the street in small Italian town of Teramo, where my mother grew up with him and everybody was like light up when they saw him. And I thought, wow, what an incredible person. Um, I found that very contagious. At the same time, I was, I'm a very proactive, I'm quite analytical. I think I'm a builder. I like to get things done and build them and put them out into the world. So when I was 26, I'd just come back from working in Bangladesh, where I worked on microfinance projects with women borrowers, women savers, incredible women who were turning their lives around because of small loans. And also because of startup toolkits that helped them run their first businesses in their communities. So some of it was led through, some of it was sort of microfinance and some of it was entrepreneurial support. And I thought it was very cool. And I came back to the UK where I was born, where I went to school and realized that I was more financially illiterate than most of the women I'd worked with in Bangladesh. Um, They had never gone to school. I'd graduated from university, but I'd never learned about finance, right? Like you go through your whole school and nobody tells you about how to manage your money. And Mm. then there you are, every day you're engaging with money. Every day you're making big decisions about where to save, what mortgage to choose, where to open a bank account. So that was kind of the beginning for me of my bank, staring at this huge gap in the education system. And it was calling out to me. It was like, Lily, come, you've got to do something about this. And that's how it all started. Okay. Starting the company then. Let's talk about that. Tell me about that journey in the UK, just starting a company now. So how was that approach? Literally, like I had no idea what I was doing. First thing I did, I was was 26. I wrote a letter to 10 people who I wanted on my, like I wanted them to be my advisors. And I said, in this letter, I said, this is my vision. I'm imagining a world where young people learn about how to manage their money so that money works for them rather than against them as they get older. I'm imagining a world where young people engage with financial services in a way that's really appropriate and fair. Imagining a world where there isn't a poverty premium on banking, meaning poor people get the same access to banking. There's no financial exclusion based on lack of education. And then I said, would you join me on this journey? I have no idea what it's going to look like, but I'd love you to be part of it. And all 10 people replied with a letter saying yes. It was like a handwritten letter. I've since written a few handwritten letters. Wow. Um, <laughs> okay, so you had the foresight to ask for help. And now these people were selected based on, in your head back then, what kind of criteria? I needed people who knew about finance. So I reached out to people who worked in financial services. People who had a clear idea of not only retail banking, but all the various verticals in banking that could be relevant and important. I needed people who knew about education. You know, I'd just come out of education and I didn't know how the education system works. How do I create curriculum in schools? How do I even get my first foot into a school or a youth group or a university? And then I needed influencers. At the time, they were not called influencers, but they were people who had 
networks, people who had social capital, people who could open doors for me. I didn't on my own feel that I had enough experience. So I also needed people who knew what it meant to run a business. In this case, it's a social business. These are the people I looked for. And these are the people that said yes and, and that came with me on the journey. And many of them are still involved. Lily, you're making me think about two things I talk about with respect to entrepreneurship. Okay. One is there's that classic example of you jump off a cliff with the hang gliding kit and you're trying to open the kit, collect all the pieces, read the instructions and assemble it as you're falling down. There's that one kind of analogy. The second analogy I use, it's like when we start a business, it's game time. It's game on from day one. So the second analogy I use is kind of like, I want to play basketball. And my first game is against the American Olympic team during the <laughs> Olympics. And I've never picked up a basketball before. So I don't even have a team ready. I'm just there showing up with the ball because that's what I want to do. Now, I'm going to say something a little controversial. And I want your opinion on this from the point of, because I know you and your perspectives are very clear. But as a woman approaching something new and as a man approaching something new, so that's one question I want to ask from your perspective, because you also coach a lot of people. I know that. Tell me, the world I grew up in, when I started, by the way, I had to have all the answers. I don't know if that was me, my education system. I don't know if that was me as a man. I don't know if that was me as a, out of my family, maybe. But what's your take on that? Let me ask you there, because it sounds like if I was to advise somebody who's starting up, I would say exactly that. What's the vision? Can you find the right people? What are the resources? What are the gaps? Can you reach out, go get advice and then start there? I mean, that's like playbook, right? And that's not what you're taught, by the way, as well. So that's another thing. Lily, let me pass that back to you to talk about. Yeah, thanks. I love your analogies. I think I was already a crafter at school. I was already a hustler. I grew up with having to find my way, even within school, to be able to get people to support me to get things done, right? So I always knew that I was so much better when I was with others. That my strength is actually part of that, is, is being able to bring people together. So whether at school it was because I wanted to put on a, a play and I wanted to get people to be part of that or wanted to run out a small business out of school or I wanted to, to write an essay and actually get lots of other people's input into this one essay, partly because I am a procrastinator, partly because I am academically in some ways not autonomous. And I think this was interesting. I grew up, my parents put me in a French school at the age of 11. I didn't speak a word of French. So okay. talk about being launched into something or, or jumping without the parachute and having to. Yeah. So there I am, aged 11. And the first poem is from the Iliad in French. Mm -hmm. and I had to memorize it. And I, so I remember memorizing this poem and going home and saying to my mother, I don't understand a single word of it. And she's like, just memorize it. You'll be fine. And mm. that was my parents' attitude. And so okay. I had to fend for help. And I was always good at bringing people on. I was good at getting people excited about wanting to do things with me. So yes, I used that in my business when I started. It felt like the most intuitive, natural thing to do. You know what? Kudos to that self-awareness. That's what I, when I talk to entrepreneurs, a lot of it is actually just self-awareness practice because they have all the answers. It's about making them understand how great they are already and how much they've succeeded. And again, it's because of those two analogies I use my actual experience and my internal reflection of the experience was both during my journeys, traumatic. This is how things had started when I, coming from such a successful academic career, let's use that, and then launch into business, 
and then just what looked like was failure was actually learning. But my processing of that was failure. And that took a while for me to overcome. Resourcefulness clearly is a trait yeah. for you. And this teamwork leadership, there are entrepreneurs I talk to who don't come from the traditional entrepreneurial world. They could be bankers. They could be, you know, other corporate types. These are themes that run through them. Now tell me, building my bank, in terms of your personal journey now, what was the most challenging parts of this as it was growing? There were so many moments that one can point to. I want to get really real with you and just something as you were speaking came to mind, which is there is also a deficiency mindset and beginning in my journey, which I think may be something that people relate to. Certainly a lot of my clients do. I grew up never feeling quite enough. When you talk about trauma, there was that level of trauma in me and no pointing fingers, but just by the nature of my childhood, this feeling that I had to compensate mm. and that it wasn't enough just to be myself. And lo and behold, that was painful and still today provides me with some moments of great pain and discomfort. Yeah. But it propelled me and it drove me to actually keep going, to really push for the work that we were doing to be meaningful, to mean something to the young people, to change something for the young people, but also to show the world, this is important work and I'm at the helm of it. And if I can do this, surely I'm good enough. So it was yeah. a huge driving force. And the biggest lesson for me in life during and post my bank journey is knowing actually how am I just enough without having to keep proving myself and letting go of some of that has enabled me, I think, to become more efficient and more connected to the work I do. So that was a great driving force and a big experience for me throughout my bank is this sense of trying to prove myself. And there may be an element of gender in that too. We talked mm. about gender earlier on. That was part one of my interview with Lily Lapena, MBE founder and chair of my bank. You can hear part two of the interview on the next episode of Deepak Has Coffee, where Lily returns to discuss how operating from a place of abundance creates resilience in times of adversity. During this conversation, we explore how to define your own success, how impact can outweigh financial gain, and what to do when you feel like you've lost everything. We also share our own stories of entrepreneurial all-time lows and how we shortened our recovery time from years to days. You can best connect with Lily via LinkedIn. Thank you for joining the conversation today. Did you have any moments of clarity? I would love for you to rate and review this episode. Your feedback is crucial to tailoring this content for your growth needs. If you would like to hear more, please be sure to connect with me on LinkedIn and or message me on dm at deepakascoffee.com.